Hello, everyone. Welcome to Subi Church. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Deborah, and together with our team, we're here to lead you in a time of um, worship where we will worship our great God together. Well, the songs that we sing will help us focus our minds and our hearts on our Lord Jesus, who brought to us a precious gift of salvation. And this weekend is Missions Weekend as well, so we also will have a special focus on that too. Now before we begin, let's open this time with a word of prayer. Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for your faithfulness and love through the ups and downs of this past week. As we gather today, may you be honored in our time of worship. Please help us draw near to you and help us be an encouragement to those seated around us too as we participate in this time of worship together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand and let's sing together. my 
We've come now to a time of the Lord's Supper, an opportunity for us to reflect on what the Lord Jesus has done. I've brought a prop with me this evening. Uh, it's a lawn bowl. Uh, what has a lawn bowl got to do with the Lord's Supper, you might be thinking? Uh, well, I think life is a bit like a lawn bowl. Uh, like a lawn bowl, a lawn bowl has an inbuilt bias. If you roll a lawn bowl, it will move to towards its inbuilt bias. If you put the inbuilt bias on the inside, it will turn to the inside. If you put the bias on the outside, it will move to the outside. It's very hard to bowl it straight. It won't go straight because of this inbuilt bias. And the in inbuilt bias won't affect that there. In life, as we travel through life, we can't live life perfectly straight. We will move to our inbuilt bias, which is our, our self-centeredness, our, our sin, uh, our uh, self-reliance. Only Jesus can deal with our inbuilt bias. In Psalm 51, if you want to look at the screen behind me. Psalm 51, just verses 1 and 2. King David, in this great prayer of penitence, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Iniquity means being broken. It means being bent out of shape. It means an inbuilt bias. David was all too aware of his inbuilt bias. Are you aware of yours? Are you aware of where that took you this week, where you didn't want it to go? And David prayed to the Lord for mercy, and that prayer was answered in Jesus Christ. That prayer was answered in Jesus Christ. So let's just take a few moments to think about our week. We, we have an opportunity to confess to the Lord those things we know that have not pleased him this week. Just as King David prayed, we pray. But we know much more than King David knows. We know our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who has fixed our inbuilt bias on the cross. He's fixed our sin on the cross. He's dealt with it once and for all. He took our shame. He took the curse. He took our sin on himself so that we can now live the way that he wants us to live. Father in heaven, we come before you right now. We confess that we, this week, have not done what you asked us to do perfectly. We confess our sins to you right now. We thank you that we have a great saviour, Jesus Christ who took our iniquity on himself. 
and we throw ourselves on your mercy again. And we trust that Jesus' blood covers those things that we have done that have not pleased you. And we thank you for the Lord Jesus. Amen. So the Lord's Supper is for all of us who throw ourselves on the mercy of Christ. If you're not yet a Christian, uh, we ask you to stay, remain in your seat. No one would, will think anything less of you, but if you want to put your trust in the Lord Jesus for the first time today, please come and take of the cup and the bread. I'll ask the first few rows to stand. Please come and take the bread and the cup. Hold on to it. We'll take it together in a few moments. Jesus' body on the cross has dealt with our transgressions, sins and iniquities. Let us eat and be thankful. Though our path in life has not been perfectly straight, Jesus has dealt with our iniquity. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. This next song that we'll be singing is not an easy one to sing, but it is a good response to us to have before the Lord in consideration of what he's done for us. So let's stand and let's prayerfully sing this to him. Consecrated 
say hi to someone sitting around you before you take a seat? Well, it's uh, time for the Subi kids to go to their program. So uh, you can all go now if you like. We've taken the opportunity to um, have a focus on uh, missions and some of the things that we do as a church, uh, both locally and overseas, uh, on this weekend. And uh, uh, we have the opportunity to have a, a special guest speaker as well, which we'll leave that till later. One of the things that we've done, I think we, we, we support probably somewhere between 12 and 15 people or organisations uh, to do with mission. Most of the people have got strong connections with the church here and many of you know them. We had Becca here just a few weeks ago, well it seems a few weeks ago, it was the beginning of the year now. And, um, uh, and she's been working in Bahrain and they're still doing stuff there. But one of the things that we uh, always find, or I always find, we can... Uh, say, yeah, let's do something for them, we'll, we'll pray for these people. And it seems a bit remote. But one of the things that we thought we'd try and do this year is focus a bit closer on it and say, well, here's some ways that you may be able to be personally involved and uh, uh, with these people that are ministering in different places. So we've asked some of them to put together a short video clip, four of them out of that 12. Can't do all of them tonight. And, uh, and I'll... Just ask you to sit back and look at it and think about it and, uh, and then we'll come back and talk about it for a little bit more in a few minutes. Esmi man, Glenisas. This is how you say, my name is Glenis in Persian and I'm involved in the Persian ministry here in Perth. The Persian church uh, meets on a Sunday afternoon in Como and I'm involved in the children's ministry. We have both a preschool and also a school age ministry. And we range from about 10 to 15 children coming uh, each week. It's an incredible privilege uh, to be involved uh, in this ministry. Many of the families that I work with are MBBs, uh, Muslim background believers, and they have extraordinary testimonies of how they come to know the Lord, often uh, through very trying and uh, challenging situations. The way in which the Lord has challenged me to be able to minister to them is by studying the language. And I go to a Persian school uh, out in Ferndale weekly to be able to, to minister in this way. We would love you to be involved if you have uh, a heart for children's ministry or even in the music ministry. Uh, please come and uh, speak with me. But one thing uh, that we would really appreciate is your prayers. This work is not a, a large work, but an incredibly vital work here in Perth. Uh, could you pray for the Persian church that it will grow in both maturity and in strength and that it will be a light here uh, to the wider Persian community? I uh, personally um, have been amazed how God is bringing the nations from around the world to our city and many of the people that are coming are from countries where they have little access to the gospel. So what an incredible opportunity to be able to reach out and to serve this community. I want to just finish by saying thank you for your support and for your prayers and for being able to share with you. Goodbye. My name is Debbie Main and you might know me in my role as women's ministry leader here at Subi Church. But today I wanted to introduce you to my husband, John. He is the state director here in Perth with a missions movement called Power to Change. Thanks, Debbie. Well, yeah, I've got one of the best jobs. So working with Power to Change, formerly known as Campus Crusade, for Christ and uh, our mission is to help 
uh, students encounter Jesus today, impact Australia tomorrow, and reach the nations for eternity. Uh, one of the perks of my job is I get to uh, meet and work with some really interesting people. Uh, and so now I'm going to throw it up to Jacob. Thanks, John. Hi, everybody. My name's Jake Brockway, and I am an international intern from Power to Change. I am from Wembley, oh, I mean Wisconsin, if you couldn't tell already. I've been attending SUBI now for about three months. I'm in a young adult small group. What we're talking about now for SUBI Missions Week is Somersault Frio. In this short-term mission trip, it's two weeks in December, people are going to be able to go out and really share the gospel in fellowship and community with one another. This is for young adults, and they get to go out and be able to talk about the love that Christ has shown for us. They get to grow in their own fellowship and community and share with others. It's a really exciting opportunity. We'd love to have you there. There's no experience necessary. We'll provide everything that is truly needed. But if you'd like something with a little bit more mileage, John and Debbie are here to talk about the land of the rising sun. Thanks so much, Jake. Uh, Debbie and I have the privilege of going to Japan this summer for a four-week uh, short-term trip. Uh, Japan is the second most unreached nation in the world. It's a it's a land of incredible food and culture, but sadly, it's also a place where there's a lot of loneliness and workaholism. And so uh, there is a great need there in Japan for the good news. So we'll be going to uh, Mission Megumi and we'll be partnering with the local uh, campus outreach team there in Nagoya in Japan. So whether it's for Mission Megumi in Japan or Somersault Frio, we would love to invite Subi Church to be praying for us to consider giving financially towards these short-term missions, but also to consider coming along yourself. Uh, you never know, it might change your life or the life of someone else. Brightly burning, some dark and cold, there is a Association pour personnes en l'homme est une association non gouvernementale qui collabore avec la société mauricienne, entre autres le gouvernement, les hôpitaux, le grand public pour venir en aide aux plus vulnérables. En 2013, Appel lance la réhabilitation pour les sans-abri hommes et a pour objectif de les équiper à relever les défis quotidiens et à se stabiliser. Ce n'était pas chose facile. Il fallait structurer pour pouvoir répondre aux besoins de nos bénéficiaires. Nos bénéficiaires commencent par la phase d'adaptation qui consiste à les aider à retrouver les repères d'une vie normale. Ils passent ensuite sur la connaissance de soi où ils vont découvrir leurs forces et faiblesses pour finalement se préparer à l'employabilité et éventuellement les remettre bien équipés dans notre société. Nous apprécions le support du gouvernement, plus précisément le Covid Fund, pour la continuation et l'extension du programme de réhabilitation et nous espérons pouvoir aider plus de personnes pendant la période post-Covid. Nous remercions notre Dieu, l'architecte de toutes choses et tous nos collaborateurs, sans oublier le board et la précieuse équipe de staff qui font un travail formidable.
those uh, clips that you've seen, we've got a very active uh, engagement with it as well. And many people from here, or a number of people from here anyway, have been in, involved at, uh, at some level within that organi those organisations. So if you want to know more about it, people will be out at the uh, information desks and we encourage you to come and have a talk with us. Thanks. Thank you, Rod. Well, good evening, everyone. Good to see you. My name is Chin. I'm one of the pastors at Suvi Church. And as a church, normally what we do uh, for every single month is that we memorize scripture together. So we have a new passage for the month of May, which is from Isaiah chapter 55, verse 9. So there should be a post postcard. So there should be a card uh, on your seat. Uh, please grab them and have a look. And one of the things that we are focusing on this year as we memorize scripture is to focus on the attributes of God. So uh, we had the holiness of God. We memorized about the goodness of God. Last month, we focused on the faithfulness of God. This month, we're looking at the transcendence of God. Let me just read that passage uh, in front of you. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is greater and higher and more majestic than our thoughts, than who we can imagine him to be. He's not just a greater, more powerful human being. He's completely other. He's completely transcendent from us. And it is important that we are reminded of that and we know that because sometimes we look at our world and we look at uh, our situation and we see how humanly impossible it can be. Think about the 12 apostles right at the start of the church. Jesus sends them out to make disciples of all nations, 12 of them, and they're supposed to change the world. That's humanly impossible in some sense. We look at the world and say, that's not possible. But God comes and says, the heavens are higher than the earth, so my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. It is possible with God. And thus when we come and memorize this scripture, memorize this passage, we are reminded and remember the transcendence of God, who he is. So this month, we're going to memorize that, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 9. Let's say that together. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So memorize that together. As always, do that with your friend, do that with your family, do that with um, your office, uh, your colleagues, if you like, as well. And be reminded of the transcendence of God. Now, one of the things that on your seat that should, uh, should be a connect card, this is very important because it's a way that we connect with you, that you can connect with us. If you are, uh, prefer to do online, you can do that as well. There's a QR code that you can scan in front of your seat uh, that uh, will take you to our online connect card, and then you can fill that out. This is a way that we can let you know what's happening in the church, and you can let us know some of the things that are going on in the life of the church or things like questions that you may have, you want to join a small group and things of that sort. So please take the time to fill that out. And if you fill out physically, there is a box that you can uh, put it in after the service. And this is also the time where I remind you, especially for those of you who call Subi Church your home, uh, that we also take offering. If you prefer to give physically, you can do so. There are envelopes you can pick up uh, in the cubby hole. And then there's a box that says offering, just put them in there. Or we encourage you to do that online. There are slips there for instructions on how to do that uh, online. 
Let me quickly tell you what's coming up in the life of the church. And part of, again, let me remind you that as we do these sort of things, we are not doing it for the sake of doing them. We're doing it for missions. We're doing it for the sake of the gospel. And so when we come to uh, announce these sort of events, let's remember that this is a way that we can reach out and connect with our community, build friendships, and have gospel conversations with them. So first of them is uh, State Youth Games that's coming up. Uh, 2nd of June to the 5th of June, so that's the long weekend, Friday to Monday. That's going to be in Bunbury for young adults, where they go down together with a bunch of friends, play sports and games, but more importantly, build gospel relationships so that they can share uh, the good news. Please do sign up if you're interested. It closes on Monday, the 8th of May. So come and join Team Subi if you like, or just put on your Connect card and we will contact you. We also have the Young Adults Lunch that's coming up. That's tomorrow, 7th of May, after the 1045 service. Once again, an opportunity for us to build relationships, to connect together, and, and through those relationships, share Jesus. It is a time where you can uh, have fellowship together, bring your own food and drinks, and it will be in the cafe uh, if, you, if it rains, but otherwise they'll be meeting in the theater gardens. And then lastly, we have the Trinity Theological Annual Lecture that's coming up. So we have a special guest, special annual lecture that Trinity is organizing here at Subi Church on the 15th of May, 7.30 to 9.30. At Subi Church, we have Rob and Claire Smith. So they are from Sydney Missionary and Bible College, SMBC. And importantly, they are speaking on ministry in a gender-confused world. And once again, this is a way that we... Think about how we can reach out and connect with the, with the world and share Jesus with them. So if you are able to make it, this will be impactful. It will, it will be very important. The 15th, 15th of May, that's a Monday evening, 7.30 to 9.30 here at Sweet Church. Now, as Rod mentioned, we have a guest speaker this evening. Let me invite Andrew up very quickly. We have Andrew uh, who serves with OMF. And we're just going to quickly ask uh, Andrew a few questions uh, so that we can get to know him a little bit better. And then he's going to bring the, uh, the scripture to us. Yes. So Andrew, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and where have you been over the past few years and wh where have you been ministering? Yeah, hello everybody. My name is Andrew. Uh, I've been, I'm with OMF. Uh, we've been in Japan, so it's really great to see someone's going to Japan. Um, we've been in Japan for nine years now. and I, I'm married, we have family, we have um, three girls as well. Well, thank you, Andrew, and thank you for coming this evening to yes. bring God's Word to us. Just very quickly, tell yeah. us a little bit about what's been most encouraging and maybe one challenging thing about ministry in Japan. Yeah, so for the last four years, we've been church planting in a rural sort of part of northern Japan. Uh, and I think the most encouraging thing is just to be able to read the Bible with someone who, you know, before they met us, had never even met a Christian before. Uh, and so to go from that to... Then opening the Bible and, and meeting Jesus through there and going, wow, this is this this guy is really interesting. Um, is really the most encouraging thing you could ever you could ever see. So yeah, that's fantastic. Well, we're going to pray for you very shortly. Thank, Thank you, you, Andrew. Um, let's give him a hand as he goes yeah. down. We're going to we're going to have a congregational prayer as always, and then Kanina's going to bring us the Bible reading, and then Andrew will come up and preach the word to us. Let us bow our heads. And let's pray. Our God in heaven, we approach you today, acknowledging that you are the Lord of all creation. And as the psalmist said, the heavens declare your praises and your glory. 
And so also should all mankind we come and we bow down and worship you as our Lord and as our King. But yet we recognize that sin has so tainted who we are that we have rebelled and turned away from you. But in your great kindness and your great mercy, you have reconciled us back to you through that great gospel promise of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it is this gospel that we cling to you. It is also this gospel promise that you have called us to go and proclaim into the world, making disciples of Christ from all nations. And so this weekend, as we focus on missions, world missions as a church, we do pray that you will raise up more gospel workers for the field. We pray that you'll prepare all our hearts here this evening to be involved in missions in any way that we can, particularly that you will raise up missionaries in our midst. We also pray that you will raise up prayer supporters, financial supporters, encouragers, evangelists, volunteers. But most importantly, we do pray and ask that you will change our hearts to see the world as you see it. And we thank you for Andrew for bringing your word to us this evening. Prepare our hearts to receive your word. May your spirit work powerfully through him as he preaches your word to touch our hearts, to transform our minds, and to motivate our hands. And so, our Father in heaven, we bring these prayer requests before you. We praise you that you hear us because of what Christ has done. And so we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This week's Bible reading is taken from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. If you're able to, I invite you to stand with me as we read from God's Word. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You may take a seat. Can you hear me? Oh yeah. Well, good evening, Super Church. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, David invited me uh, to come this weekend from Sydney, so I'm I'm here on home assignment. Uh, we just got back to Sydney after nine years in Japan uh, last December, uh, December 28th, and he thought, why don't you come here and share at my church and share at some of the things he's organizing, and I said, great. I've never been to Perth before. Um, it's a beautiful city. Um, I'd love to come back again with my family. Um, let me tell you about a friend of mine. Oh, here he goes. In Japan, his name is Tadamitsu. Can everyone say, Tadamitsu? Oh, very good, very good. Um, during his childhood, his father got involved in some serious gambling debts. Because of this, his family became quite afraid of organized crime coming to hurt them. And it got so serious, the whole family had to move to a different city hundreds of kilometers away. His father, I don't know what he did, but he stayed back and he somehow paid off the debts. But life for Tadamitsu, when he was young, was tough, was very tough. I don't exactly know what happened, but as he grew older, the traumas of his childhood stayed with him. And as an adult, 
He wandered through Japan, taking on odd jobs here and there. And over time, he learned to drink alcohol, to deal with these inner demons. And soon, a couple of drinks became a lot of drinks, and he was addicted. And as it is with alcohol um, and alcoholism, he simply couldn't stop drinking. Uh, every day, he would need to drink a lot just to get through the day. He could not stop. Uh, sometimes he, he told me stories about how he would wake up at home and he would have no idea how he got there, but he knew he must have driven home completely drunk. And so he thinks it's a miracle that he, he didn't die or he didn't kill someone um, during this period of his life. Now, after years of wandering throughout Japan, he returned to his parents' home. He was broken in spirit and unable to stop drinking. But his parents had become Christians, and they were attending a church pastored by a missionary uh, from OMF. And so Tadamitsu decided to attend this church with them. And with his parents, he sat and he listened to the sermon. And afterwards, he went home and he prayed to God. He said, if you're really there, like the pastor said you are, then please help me. Please take away my addiction to alcohol. And at that exact moment, he was completely healed. After years of non-stop drinking, his addiction to alcohol vanished, and he has never drunk a single drop of alcohol since that day. And he was shocked. He was so shocked, he decided he really wanted to know who this God was. He really wanted to know this God, to serve this God, to love this God, to respond to him, this God who had healed him so miraculously. And so when I met him, um, I met him while he was working as an evangelist uh, with the church, uh, and his, he was telling the gospel uh, to survivors of the March 2011 earthquake and tsunami, and so we did a lot of stuff together uh, when I was there with him. Uh, later, he would eventually go on to marry the daughter of um, some missionaries from Taiwan, and then he went to Bible college, and today he is the pastor of a church uh, established by OMF uh, in a small town called Otaru. Friends, this is what it's all about. See, men and women trapped in darkness coming to light. Like sheep wandering in the fields, finally meeting the shepherd who loves and cares for them. Now, I told you this story about Tadamitsu, and you heard a miracle. A miracle happened. But here's the thing. The miracle is not just that Tadamitsu prayed and was healed. The miracle is also that Tadamitsu knew who to pray to. He prayed to our God, your God, the one true God who created him and who sent Jesus to die for him. Today, thousands of Japanese men and women will find themselves in a similar place as Tadamitsu, lost, seeking answers, looking for help from a higher power. Thousands won't pray to the God who loves them and longs for them to turn to him. Instead, they, will, they might visit temples and they will pray to objects to help them. Or maybe 
they'll pay for somebody else to pray for them. Uh, they'll pray a Shinto priest to pray for them. Uh, and why Shinto priests to do the praying? Because these guys know the ancient Japanese language that only the, the thousands of gods in Japan speak. So they can speak the special language of the gods. Um, and so here's this guy. Uh, for about $100, he will pray for protection for your car. Or they might visit some of the numerous cults or new religions with their modern, sleek, beautiful buildings, offering all sorts of helps so long as you can afford their high prices. Or you might something, try something new and trendy like, and foreign sounding like palm reading, tarot cards, or crystals. Today, only a small, very small number of people will be fortunate enough to bump into a Christian, a missionary, and be shown the much better way. Friends, this is true of Japan. This is true of Cambodia, where David used to be serving. This is true of China, Vietnam, Pakistan, Uzbekistan, and hundreds of other countries where the gospel still hasn't taken root. This, this is it. This is why. This is what missions is all about. So how do we do it? How can you be involved in this life-changing, miraculous work? Um, today we're looking at um, a passage which invites us all to see our place, to understand what we can do as we take part in missions. I hope as we look at it very carefully, I, I, I pray that your hearts will be moved to see, to see what Jesus saw. I hope your hands might be moved to do what Jesus would want you to move. And maybe even your feet will be moved to take you somewhere unexpected as you join Jesus in this adventure of telling people about him. So let's have a look. Verse 35 says this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. So when Matthew writes this, um, he's actually giving a, like a summary statement of everything that has happened in the last four chapters uh, in, in the book of Matthew so far. Um, so what's he saying? He's saying Jesus has been traveling, and, he, and three things. He's been teaching about God, preaching the good news, and healing people. Right? So the summary is, Preaching, teaching, and healing. And so Matthew wants us to know that Jesus makes sure all of these three things always go together. Teaching, preaching, and healing. He was never just the teacher or evangelist. He was someone who cared for their needs of the people. And he was never just someone who helped people. He always made sure people understood what they were seeing. And they understood that what they were seeing was part of this new kingdom that he was ushering in. And so when I look at this verse, I think here is something for us when we think about missions, that we too must engage in ministries that balance, we could say, word and deed. Right? We must have ministry that balances both word and deed. So... Um, in the small town where we live in Japan, um, there aren't a lot of obviously poor, homeless people. We live in, um, in the northern part, it's about 28,000 people. We're surrounded by mountains and rice fields. 
Um, there aren't a lot of homelessness or things like that. But, the, but Japan has what uh, they call the working poor, a lot of what you call the working poor. These are people who have jobs, but they earn perhaps just, just enough to survive. Um, but they're actually in a tight and difficult spot in life, and they don't know where to go. Uh, our local sort of council, local government, had this volunteer program providing low-cost meals to families. Um, and one of our co-workers, uh, called Hoyan, went along to this to help. And there she met a young lady. Um, and she has two um, young boys. Um, they're at the front there, I think. No, I'll go back to there. Um, so that's, that's her in the glasses and the two boys next to them. Uh, and they're my kids. And that's Hoyan at the back. Um, now, this young lady, her name was Erina, Edina, and to our surprise, her younger son was in our daughter's kindergarten, so we knew her family. Um, and so then we, we started to try to get to know her. We invited her over to our house for a barbecue, uh, and as we chatted with her, it became clear that she was struggling. Uh, her marriage was falling apart. Um, there was domestic violence which had traumatized the family. Uh, and, you know, just for her to look after two young, rowdy boys was, was getting kind of tough for her. So what did we do? We started doing fun things together. We went ice skating, bowling. Um, the point was, we knew it was hard for her to take her boys out and to do things together. So we thought we would do it together as a group so that she, her, she, her kids could have fun and, we would, and help her out as well. Uh, we pulled our money together and we bought presents for the boys for Christmas and for their birthdays. And then later we invited her to a Christian parenting course um, with my wife and with Hoyan to help her grow in her ability as a parent and to help understand God's wisdom with something like parenting. Uh, during these sessions, I would look after the boys um, and in the back of my mind, I would think these boys... Um, they've had some bad experiences with men, with domestic violence. And so, in the back of my mind, I wanted to be a better male role model on how I treat them, and how I treat my wife, how I treat my own kids. They lived in a small apartment, so I helped build shelves for them to help with storage issues. Um, and we prayed. We prayed for her, we prayed with her, we prayed with her constantly. See, friends, Jesus' ministry, this is just one example of me, us trying to do word and deed together. So let me ask you, how are you engaged in trying to do a ministry that balances word and deed? How well do you know your physical surroundings and the needs of the people around you? Um, do you have a ministry yourself, your, your people around you, reaching the poor and the marginalized here in Perth? Are there single mothers, lonely elderly, are families struggling with chronic sickness that you could bless? Uh, are you or people in your church, they have gifts who could really bless the people around you and you are in contact with? See, in my experience, one thing I realize, I notice, is that when a good balance of word and deed is done in a church, one sign, a sign that I see very rarely though, is that there will be poor people in your church. They will be attracted to your church. Maybe not necessarily financially poor, but maybe mentally disturbed, socially excluded, or just struggling people. Let's keep looking ahead in the passage. So 
Verse 36, um, we see that there are crowds of people coming to Jesus. Crowds of people. And when I think about these crowds, I think about a story that a friend of mine who was a missionary in Bolivia for many years, his name was Lawrence, and he and his whole family would live in a bus and they would drive all around to the poorest cities of Bolivia. And he was a doctor, and so at each town uh, they would stop at, uh, he would set the bus up as a mobile clinic and they would provide basic medical care. So during the day, he was a doctor, um, healing people. But at night, he invited them all to come back and he would tell stories from the Bible. And because of the nature of Bolivia, when people heard that there was a doctor in the area, they would line up outside his bus for days just to see him. And one day he told me of one story of a woman. And she came and she had a sick baby. And so she lined up for days in the sun, carrying her baby. But by the time she finally got to see him, um, he looked at her, he looked at the baby, and he had to say, I'm sorry, your baby has died. And I remember hearing that and was so heartbroken. And so I think it would be very natural to look at the crowd, the crowd that Jesus sees, and be overwhelmed with the absolute misery around them. I would suspect the crowd of people coming to Jesus was not that much different to the ones in Bolivia. But here's, here's the interesting thing. When Jesus looks at this crowd, we get to see what Jesus felt in his heart. And he too, he is overwhelmed, he is overcome with an emotional response. But he doesn't look at them the way maybe a doctor might see a line, an endless line of patients coming to see him. He looks and he sees something far deeper. So in verse 36 we read, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, when Jesus looks at the crowd, he sees people, people who are like sheep without a shepherd. And so what does this tell me? So when I think about missions then, I think this, that missions, missions must be about seeing the true needs of people. And the true need of people is that they need Jesus as their shepherd. See, when Jesus, uh, when the passage here uses the words harassed and helpless, many commentators are thinking that he's talking about this idea of a sheep being cast. Uh, so C-A-S-T-E. Uh, I didn't know that word until I looked it up, but cast. A cast sheep is one that has somehow accidentally rolled onto their back, onto the divot into the ground, and, and for some reason now has their legs up and it can't get up, it can't get off, can't roll over again and, and walk around. Um, the, the heavy wool on their back uh, makes it hard for them to, to roll over. And eventually what happens is something happens in the stomach and gases fill up. And now when that's happened, it's over. It's impossible for them to move. And soon, perhaps rats or crows, they'll come and they'll start pecking at the sheep. The lucky sheep, the lucky sheep might lose an eye or an ear before they're rescued, but the unlucky ones will be eaten alive. And so when Jesus looks at the crowd, this is what he sees, harassed, 
helpless people. Because of sin, they're stuck in situations they have no idea how to escape from. And now, perhaps they're at mercy of people with greater power or, or people of evil intent. See, when I think about the mission field, it's easy to concentrate on the poverty and the physical needs of the people that are there. It's easy to see how poor people are harassed and helpless. But Japan is interesting because it's a country that helps us think more deeply about what missions is really about. Because Japan is one of those countries that some people might think doesn't, doesn't really need missionaries, does it? I mean, it's the third largest economy in the world. It has clean streets. It has polite people. It has, a train, has train systems where the trains always seem to run on time. So many people love to go to Japan for a holiday. It's so easy to be blinded by this and to think, Japan doesn't really need missionaries, does it? But of course, the reality is that for a country with deep physical needs, such as Cambodia, as well as a country like Japan, which seems to have everything, the reality is the same. They both need Jesus as their shepherd. Clean streets and trains that run on time are meaningless, trivial things if you don't have Jesus as your shepherd. Without him, people are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, let me give you a quiz. In 2016, there was a survey of young people from 15 to 21 from 20 major countries, and Japan was ranked last when comparing A, which one do you think? A, overall happiness, B, mental well-being, C, proportion who consider religious faith important, or D, proportion who consider making a wider contribution to society as important. All right. What do you think? Who thinks the answer is they were ranked last for A, overall happiness? I can't really see. All right, I see a few hands. B, mental well-being. Oh, I see a few hands. C, proportion you consider religious faith important. A few less hands. D, proportion you consider making a wider contribution to society is important. Oh, even less hands. Oh, very few hands for that one. All right. Let me give you the answer. Oh, nope. Oh, okay, it doesn't work. Okay, the answer is all of the above. E, all of the above. Sorry, I was just tricking you there. Um, <laughs> all of the above. Does that surprise you? Right, Japan has the lowest percentage of people who said they were happy and the highest percentage of people who said they were unhappy. Japan has one of the highest suicide rates in the world. The number one killer of young men is themselves, suicide. Over 20,000 people a year take their own life in Japan. John 10 says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, the truth is below the glittering surface that makes Japan this favorite tourist destination, Japan is a place where Instead of a good shepherd, there is a thief who is killing and destroying. There are so many in Japan that know what it is to be harassed and helpless. So when we read that Jesus looks at the crowd and he has compassion on them, when he looks at rich countries like Japan 
when he looks at poor countries like Bangladesh, he doesn't look at their suffering and think, wow, that looks really tough. He looks and he thinks, let me be the shepherd you need. He thinks, follow me. Listen to my instruction and my guidance. Let me heal you. Let me love you. Let me guide you. Let me discipline you. Let me die for your sins. Let me be your good shepherd. We read on. And the next thing Jesus talks about is a harvest. He says, he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Now here's something I saw very often in Japan. Uh, whenever there is spare land, flat land, Japanese people would plant something. They would plant anything. Um, and living in Japan, I get to enjoy the, the full cycle of farm life in Japan. So from the initial planting, which happens in April, and then each week, um, you get to see the crop grow just a little bit more and a little bit more, a little bit more. And then around September, October, every year, the fields will be full and ripe for harvest. Um, it was a beautiful sight, looking like this. Uh, and each of the grains would be, be bending over heavily as it, it's full of rice on the ends. Um, and it was great to, to be there and see it. And it was a beautiful smell, to smell rice just on, on, the, on the stalk. Um, and you would also see farmers, and they would be out there gathering, or not gathering, inspecting their crops. And I'm sure they were thinking in their minds as they looked at this harvest, they thought, wow, how awesome it will be to finally be able to bring it in. And so when Jesus looks at the people, at the crowd, he too thinks to himself, a harvest, a beautiful harvest. But Jesus also sees a tragedy. He says we have this huge crop, but not enough people to bring it in. He sees lots and lots of people who are ready to hear the gospel, but not enough people to go out with boldness and talk about it. So friends, what do you think? Do you see a harvest just like Jesus? I mean, do you see the tragedy of not enough workers? I have to say, I think it's actually hard to see. It's hard to see in Australia. It's hard to see in Japan. See, when your church might be small, or when you see very few people become Christian and very little interest around you in the gospel, you might think, is there a harvest? Is there really a harvest? But the strange thing is, in my experience, there is a harvest. It is there. But you only see it when you are ambitious and you take risks to talk to people about Jesus. See, when I was in Bible college um, back in Sydney, uh, one of the things I just randomly did on the weekend was a uh, Bible storytelling event with Wycliffe. And as part of the training, they made us go down the street and just ask if anyone would like to hear stories from the Bible, and we would tell them Bible stories. Uh, and when I did it, um, I was surprised. I bumped into this guy, and his name was Ricky, and he's from China. And he was interested, um, and he wanted to know more. So after that, we invited him to come to our house, talk more, and we would do more Bible stories with him uh, over dinner. And 
because uh, he was from China. I, I brought along a friend, his name was John, and he was a missionary who worked in China so he could help translate. And at the same time, next door to our house uh, was a share house full of Chinese students. Uh, and so when John came over, he did this funny thing. Uh, he noticed this house full of students from China. And he's an Aussie guy, and he just would knock on their windows and speak to them in Mandarin and ask them, would they come over for dinner as well? And so you can imagine these guys, just, who's this guy, banging on their windows, and he's talking to me in Chinese and asking, have you had dinner yet? Uh, but they came. And so then each week after that, uh, we were hosting hot pot dinners in our house to a crowd of, of Chinese students in our house, going through stories from the Bible. I, I don't know how I finished Bible college doing this, um, but this is what I did instead of studying. Um, <laughs> for some reason, one week, only Ricky could make it. No one could make it. Um, I don't know why, but suddenly only Ricky made it one week. But we decided, well, let's just do um, a storytelling session anyway. Um, and so we were up to the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And after we told this story, uh, Ricky became quite quiet and emotional, and very differently how he'd been before. And he told us that just the day before, a really good friend of his had just died in China. And he was really sad and overcome with this, and, and thinking, what is death? What does this all mean? And so he was really surprised that we suddenly brought up this story about Jesus' power over death. And as we talked, that night he decided to become a Christian. Now friends, how did this happen? How did this happen? It happened because I was told to go down the street and do something kind of uncomfortable and just talk to people randomly. It felt risky and weird to do that. It happened because John decided to bang on people's uh, windows and invite them over uh, for dinner each week. And had I not done this, had John not done this, I would not have been able to see how plentiful the harvest can be. And let me tell you, when you see the harvest, when you truly see the harvest, you want to get out there and work there. So friends, do you believe Jesus when he says there's a harvest? Do you believe there is a tragic situation where there are not enough people out there to bring in the grain? Are you getting out there doing uncomfortable but ambitious things to talk to people about Jesus? I know it can seem hard. I know it can be hard. Um, let me give you some, hopefully, help. Uh, let me commend to you two books written by a friend of mine. Uh, his name is Sam Chan. Uh, he's from my church. He used to be a lecturer at my college. Um, his two books, one is called How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy. That's included that one. And Evangelism in a Skeptical World. Oh, yeah, sorry, that one, that one right there. Um, so Evangelism in a Skeptical World is written kind of more for church leaders, uh, people who are just thinking at that sort of level, but don't let that scare you off. But if, if that does scare you off, um, How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy is written more for the average um, church person. My, my daughter read it. She's 11 years old. Uh, so I think you can read it too. It's, it's, it's really short. It's really easy. But it's really simple. But the ideas he talks about are completely doable. Um, I have to be honest. I think they are some of the best and, and simplest books I've ever read on evangelism. 
Um, he uses these phrases like merge your universes, or he has this formula of coffee, lunch, dinner, and that has been so helpful to me. And a lot of things he actually, he didn't know this, and I didn't know this, but things he's doing there in this book are what we are doing in Japan as well. Uh, and I just promise you, let me promise you, that if you try out some of these things, um, if you do something ambitious to tell people the gospel, you will begin to see the harvest. It's only those who don't go never see it. And then you will see the tragedy that there are not enough workers. See, coming back last December, uh, I was also struck by how many churches and Christians there are out there. Uh, we go to churches where there are multiple services now with hundreds of people sometimes. Uh, we send our children to a Christian school. Uh, it feels like everyone's a Christian at that school and the teachers are Christians. In Japan, we have church in our home, in our living room. Sometimes it's just our family. Uh, our kids are the only Christians in the school, and so we have to sort of constantly explain to our kids, no, that's, that's, not, that's why we don't do certain things that the other kids are doing. Um, there's a church where, near close to us, and it's, it was planted 20 years ago. Uh, today it has the pastor, his wife, and three people attending that church. Um, I know another church where, yeah, it's just one person attending the church and the couple who are running the church. Friend, the, friends, the, the need is great because the workers are few. The few Christians that are there, they really need encouragement. Just for them to see a mature Christian, to model for them what daily life might look like, to, to meet a Christian dad and go, that's what a Christian dad looks like. That's what a Christian mum looks like. That's what it looks like to, go to, to be a, a young Christian. To have these sort of models is something they need. Um, they need encouragement to follow Jesus, to be bold, to see what it looks like to be bold with ambition, with evangelism, with prayer. And so then what does Jesus command us to do? Verse 38 says this, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, you notice what Jesus doesn't say we're meant to do here, right? Everything I said right up to there, perhaps you're expecting Jesus to say, now go, but he doesn't say go. He doesn't say, everybody get out there and, and gather the harvest, tell people about Jesus, tell people about me. He says, he says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. In other words, Jesus tells us that the key response to the crowds of harassed and helpless is to pray, to pray. Um, J.O. Fraser was an OMF missionary to the Lisu people in southern China. Uh, for a long time, he saw very little fruit, and he really struggled um, as a missionary. Nobody became a Christian, and he was, yeah, he was quite discouraged. He wrote this in 1922. I used to think that prayer should have the first place and teaching the second. I now feel that it would be truer to give prayer the first, second, and third place and teaching the fourth. And he was right. And amazingly, after years of resistance to the gospel, many, many Lisu became Christians. See, why? Why this call to pray, to pray? 
Because missions isn't something we just do, like you just do it. The task of missions is something we join in doing. Right? Note who Jesus says we're praying to. We're praying to the Lord of the harvest. Oops. No. We're praying to the Lord of the harvest. Um, you know, workers in a field, each worker, is he's thinking about that individual grain, that bundle of grain he's looking after. But the Lord of the harvest was there at the beginning. Um, he was thinking about the whole field since the beginning, and he's thinking about it now, and he's thinking about in the future. But secondly, I also want you to know that prayer, when you pray, when you pray for your missionaries, it's much more than just making requests to God that he would listen. It is together joining in in working for the gospel. So you notice um, Paul uses this sort of language. In Romans 15.30, Paul writes this. He says, I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Right? Do you see what he says? He doesn't ask, please pray for me in my struggle, for my struggles. He says, join me. Join me when you pray. Join me in my struggle by praying. He's not saying, please cheer from a distance and help me out and clap from the stands. He says, join me. Join me in this work. Because the task of missions, friends, is a spiritual battle. It is a tough spiritual battle. And God is the one doing the real work of calling people to him and changing people's hearts. And perhaps you might say to me, of course, yes, I knew that. I know that. God is the one changing people. But if you did know that, you would pray so much more. See, people often ask me um, when I share about Japan... They say, why are there so few Japanese Christians? Why don't Japanese people turn to Christ? Um, and I think you know, many Asian neighbors to Japan have actually have huge revivals. And you see, you see a lot of Christians in countries like Korea, China, Hong Kong, Singapore, Taiwan, Malaysia. You know, you just all the neighbors seem to have um, quite a big response to the gospel, but not Japan. And I've thought about this a lot. And some people, they point to sort of cultural reasons. They say, oh, Japan's special. They have this strong group culture. They have a history of persecution against Christianity. But the thing is, all these reasons could also be made against Chinese or Korean people too. So the reality is we don't, we don't really know. And at the same time, here's the thing, we don't really know why the gospel has been so effective amongst Chinese and Korean people. But I often think about the question itself. And I think there's something wrong with the question. I wonder whether behind the question, why are so few Japanese people Christian? Why aren't they Christian? Is there's a belief that it should be easy for a highly literate, rich, modern culture to respond to the gospel, shouldn't it? It should be easy. It's so easy to be a Christian, isn't it? So why don't they do it? Because it's not easy. It's not easy. Jesus calls Peter and Andrew to follow him, and he tells them that they will become fishers of men. A fisher of men, a fisherman who pulls a fish out of the kingdom of water into, I guess, the, land of king, the kingdom of land and air. Right? He's calling him to pull people from one kingdom that is as different 
to the next kingdom as water is to air. Um, Perhaps it feels easy and effortless for you now that you're a Christian living in this new kingdom, but the process is a hard spiritual battle. Jesus calls us to pray. The first thing is to pray because it is a hard, it is primarily a spiritual battle. So every opportunity that we get to tell someone about Jesus, every chance encounter we have to meet with someone and to read the Bible with them, every time we hear a soft-hearted response to the gospel, it didn't happen just by coincidence. It was work one through prayer. So friends, have you been praying for the harvest? Um, Let me just give you some tips to help you pray. Um, Just two tips. Um, The first, and maybe it seems obvious, but maybe it doesn't, but I see um, just from that, those videos, which is great, that you have a lot of people in your church that, um, that you support that are missionaries. Um, and that's really good. I'm so excited to see that. Do you receive their prayer updates? I'm sure a lot of them send out emails and things. Are you on their list? Um, if you don't, then get on their prayer updates. Receive their things and pray for them and pray for them. Right? And you know, if they send out an update, you can reply to them and say, hey, I prayed for you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and I know when we have sent out our updates and when we get replies, it's hugely encouraging to us to know people are praying for them. Um, this is one of our newsletters. Uh, I have to admit, the opposite is really discouraging. Right? The opposite is this. When I go to a supporting church on home assignment, and maybe I've come and I sit down in the, in the pews and people look at me and they say, you look familiar. Uh, are you new here? Um, and I don't really know how to answer that question. Yes, I've been away for a few years. Um, so let me just say, as an absolute minimum, please receive the prayer updates of your, church, of your missionaries um, and pray for them as well. Uh, and secondly, uh, if there are... OMF has a whole lot of really helpful prayer resources. Um, Before I was a missionary, um, I used some of these, uh, these these OMF prayer guides like these. Um, Each day, for instance, these ones like 25 days or 30 days or 31 days, um, helps you guide you through how to pray for a particular country or a people group, and you you essentially go through the month with them. Um, They're really helpful. Um, And especially if you go on holiday to Japan, which a whole lot of people I know would like to do that, you can take one of these with you and as you take each day of the holiday, pray through it. And I know that God didn't just answer my prayers, but he changed my heart as I prayed and I hope that will happen to you. Okay, friends, we've looked at a short passage today. What has Jesus shown us about the work of missions? I've tried to highlight a few things for us. Right. Firstly, we must follow Jesus' example of doing ministry that is both word and deed. Secondly, we need to understand this, this fact that people's true need is Jesus as their shepherd. Thirdly, we need to see what Jesus sees. He sees this harvest of people yet to follow him and the tragedy of not enough workers. And so the command for us is to pray Pray for workers into the fields. Let me close by by simply saying this. Friends, it's worth it. It's worth it. Every moment you spend in time praying, every dollar, 
that you give. And for some of you, I hope, who are wondering, is this something I could do instead of what I'm doing right now? I would say it's worth it. Over 200 years ago, in 1807, at the age of 25, Robert Morrison was the first Protestant missionary to set foot in China. He spent 27 years in, in China, mainly working around the Guangzhou region, in areas like Hong Kong, Macau. Uh, he, he didn't see a convert until seven years after his arrival, and even then he wasn't really sure the man actually understood the gospel. But here we are, 200 plus years later, and as I look around this room, I see a lot of faces like mine, Asian faces like mine. There was a harvest that was prayed for. Robert Morrison would have never dreamed to see a room like this today. Friends, it's worth it. For every tadamitsu in Japan wondering, can anything stop this addiction to alcohol? For every Ricky from China here in Australia wondering about death, for every harassed and helpless man and woman wandering like sheep without a shepherd, it's worth it. Let me pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you allow us to be a part of your work of bringing people to Jesus. I thank you that he is the good shepherd. Lord, I pray for each person here at this church. Lord, give them the same compassion as Jesus had for the harassed and the helpless. Give them the ability to see this harvest. Lord, may you cause more hearts to yearn for the privilege of being a worker in these fields. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Andrew, for bringing us the word. And I'm, I am aware of time, so we will uh, finish very shortly. But as mentioned, we have tables in the atrium where uh, you can find out more about all the different missionaries that we support. And Andrew will be around. David Leal will be around as well to tell you more about OMF. Let me finish and send us off with the words from Jesus himself as we read from Matthew chapter 9, as he says to us. So this is Jesus' words to us. Let's remember that. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send our workers into the harvest field. Let's pray. Let's pray and ask God to do great things in our hearts and also in the places that we're at so that the gospel will touch people. And so go forth from here. God bless you.